0: Welcome to Rect, the podcast where we explore what happened when California legalized adult use marijuana in 2018. I'm Christopher Trout, the creative director of The Grass Agency, and I am joined by my partner in crime, Rena Karia. Hello. Hey, Rena. Hi, hi. And Brandy Moody. Hey, Brandy.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Do I have to say your really long title again?
1: No, it's Brandy Moody. I can help you with weed, wine, food, you know. Would you? Yeah, sure. Would you mind? <laughs> All the things, yeah.
0: <laughs> so today we're talking about the long arm of Silicon Valley. If you needed a Any evidence that the cannabis industry has somehow been affected by this by Silicon Valley you need to look no further than the nickname for prop 64 the Sean Parker initiative boo who is Sean Parker y'all
1: you may know Sean Parker from a little site called Napster
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, I really
1: enjoyed that I love in college I and did. then <laughs> and then Metallica took him down. Yeah. Hard. God damn it. Well, yeah, Sean Parker started Napster. He's like a big tech bro, um famously played by Justin Timberlake in The Social Network.
0: Right, so he was the president of Facebook.
1: He was one of yeah,
0: he was an early president. investor. Early right?
1: investor in Facebook, right.
0: And now he's doing biomedical research funding through the Sean Parker Hmm. initiative, organization, something. But anyway, he's trying to cure cancer, which is a noble cause. He's also the number one, or was the number one biggest donor to Prop 64. And while his team says that he didn't influence the actual initiative, he paid for it. So Sean Parker is not the only tech bro sticking his dick in cannabis's mashed potatoes. Mm -hmm. There has been a big sort of migration of tech industry folks into the cannabis industry, mostly because they see the potential for big dollars, right? ka
1: They're in the same region in a lot of places. Um, they love to sail on uncharted waters and move fast and break things. Sure. Yeah.
0: Oh, God. I feel like we're just going to go over a whole bunch of shit I just don't want to talk about on this episode, (laughs) mostly because in my previous career, I had to hear so much of these buzzwords. And I think that's what's so disappointing to me about the influx of Silicon Valley money into the cannabis industry is it's taking this thing that was so countercultural and making it so mainstream Uh, and basic. Yeah, commodity.
1: Technology and tech bros it's like they're playing to win. They're going to be number one. They're on teams, right? Everyone Mm -hmm. in tech is on a team and they're going to win. And like uh, everything around cannabis, I just keep thinking of that Bob Marley song, like one love, you know, and it's a complete opposite of one another. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's like really surprising that those two... Those two things are now existing in the same space.
0: Well, one, one of the people who has made their way from technology into the cannabis industry is our first guest. Her name is Kayo Nistrom, and she is the co-founder of Quim, a self-care line for humans with vaginas and humans without vaginas who love vaginas, Tm. It's pretty mm-hmm. good it's trademarked yeah I like that yeah That's i mean great. i would trademark that yeah. yeah
2: for
1: sure
0: uh one of the things that i loved about interviewing kayo is just how open and honest she is about the origins of quim you know she came into the cannabis industry after a career working for uh an enterprise software company doing referral marketing she then went into doing uh, sales at Meadow, became the head of sales at Meadow, which is a point of sale system for retail and delivery companies in the cannabis industry.
3: The origin of Quim um, is really has, is my, my vagina, my, my broken vagina, or at least feeling like it was. Um, I got a UTI the week after I had sex for the first time. Um, I had water polo in high school, so I spent a lot of time in a wet bathing suit. Um, and that essentially, that first UTI started about an eight year cycle of UTI, yeast infection. I felt like I was completely at war with my sex organs. Um, and I started to, so while in college I started to do research on, okay, so like I, my vagina tends to be dry. So I started doing research into, okay cool, I go to Walgreens, I buy some lube, what's in that lube? Turns out the most widely available lubricants are glycerin based. Glycerin is a metabolic byproduct of sugar. So if you, have it, if you have bacterial vaginosis, a yeast infection, anything, you are just sending all the, all the bacteria or fungus down there to an all-you-can-eat buffet. So I started making my own vaginal health products without cannabis, like right after college. Um, I started working at Meadow. Someone gave me a bottle of another cannabis-infused lube and I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, all my favorite things, vaginas and weed. I opened it up and my second thought was, ah, oh, whoever designed this product doesn't have a vagina. Like, I, it was a spray bottle. And I was like, have you ever seen a vagina? You want, you want to get up into the vaginal canal? Like, do you want me to like ask my partner to put on like goggles and like deep sea diving equipment? Like, also you'd have to do some like very intense like yoga positions to like get your vagina open enough so that you could like actually spray it in. I take issue with products uh, that condition people with vaginas to not touch their vaginas. I think that that is a pretty big source of shame, um, and keeps people from vaginas from exploring their bodies. And it's like, what's the worst that could happen? It could feel really good, I think is the worst that could happen. But once I finally got it to work, I was like, oh shit, this is really amazing. I Felt so much more lubricated than I normally had. It enhanced sensation while also like decreasing pain. Um, I had like a pretty like mind-shattering orgasm, um, but then I still had to follow up with like the little tea tree suppository. Um, and so yeah, I was like, great. I know I now work in the industry. I sort of I see how the sausage gets made. I know growers. I know female growers who are you know using. Um, Permaculture permaculture practices, uh, you know, growing really beautiful sun grown flower. Um, And I saw an opportunity to sort of combine, you know, take what this one company had done and really make it, you know, take it to the next level to where it would fill my needs and the needs of so many people I've been talking to.
0: One of the things that I loved about interviewing her is, you know, I show up to her home and there's a whiteboard with all sorts of crazy shit on it. And they're, they're doing business right there in her living room. The first interview I did with her, um, I ended up interviewing her twice. And the second interview was different, but it still had this very scrappy kind of by the bootstraps vibe to it. You know, she was drinking a Coors light at 3 PM in their market street office, which was a huge move up for, for them. Um, but, There is this mythology that goes along with sort of technology companies and their origin stories, and that has made its way into the weed industry as well.
2: I think it's very hard when you're in the Bay Area to ignore it. Like, Mm -hmm. it seeps into everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like, these companies are Hollywood, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We don't have celebrities. We We have star engineers and CEOs and all that shit.
0: There's a reason why we know so much about them, because it's not just... They're not just celebrities in Silicon Valley. They're not just celebrities in our backyard. They global. are global celebrities, right? There's nobody more famous except for maybe Beyonce than Steve Jobs.
1: But I think right now we're at an interesting crossroads. And it's it's interesting that it seeped its way into weed because big tech is so under the microscope right now. And everybody's kind of like had enough, I think. Mm. I, mean, I mean, at least here, I know there's so much backlash because... You know, there's companies aren't really in the black. They're still operating in the red off of their VC money and investors aren't getting returns from some of these places. So, I mean, and then we have political candidates like gunning hard to break up these places. So it's an interesting time, I think, to be in the Silicon Valley, at least for Mm -hmm.
0: me. The more that you see these people kind of working their way into the industry from the tech industry the more we start to feel the parallels between the two. One of the things that Kayo and her co-founder Rachel figured out very quickly is that weed is very much a man's world.
3: Most of the people with access to capital to invest in cannabis companies or non-cannabis companies tend to be white men. We pitched uh, last summer at the Arcview pitch competition in San Francisco. We won. The Arcview Pitch competition. Guess how many investors we got from that?
0: Zero. One.
3: And we already knew him.
0: Crickets. There was no funding to be found from it. And I found that really interesting. What she kept on hearing was that because they are a women's sexuality plant touching business they were a niche within a niche within a niche and she was like hold the fuck on 50% of people have vaginas
1: yeah but I do think if you look at the retail landscape of cannabis in um, and like we've talked about this before in previous episodes that it is kind of hard I think for people to go all in on a product that is a bit niche um, because it doesn't sell at the same rate that like flour or, or like concentrates do. But what I think is really great about Kayo and Rachel's company is that they really leaned in. Ugh, I use another tech term, but they really <laughs> leaned in to like what really the value and their mission was, or their what their values and their missions mission is, and that's to help people that have these kind of vaginal ailments that are looking for solutions that they've they've had a hard time finding.
0: They are a value driven company, right? Mm-hmm. Like that she keeps on coming back to like I got into this not for the money. I got into it because I saw or I needed something, right? And I I knew that other people needed it as well. <clears throat> um that is not true of these other tech migrants, right? Like mm-hmm. you are not getting a dude from silicon valley coming into the cannabis industry. For the most part, I'm sure there are some outliers, but you're not getting you're not getting the tech bros coming in because they want to help people. They want to help humanity. How do the industries differ or how are they similar in respect to the way that women are treated in the industry?
3: Whew. Well, I can't speak for all women, I can speak for myself. Um, I definitely experience sexual harassment in both industries and I think what can be kind of frustrating about cannabis is because I think people tend to be a little bit more socially progressive in cannabis or tend to be here for the right reasons if you will. That I think it can be almost like more insidious when there is sexual harassment or there is um, gross objectification, like when sometimes I think the way I feel like cannabis marketing and branding is still in a lot of ways in like the early 90s, you know, it's like they're using like, it's like what Budweiser was doing in like 1994, or like Joe Camel in like, you know, in like 1992, and then you see, you know, brands like Ignite, like Dan Blazarian's company, where it's, you know, people are pointing AK-47s at naked women's butts, and she's holding a vape pen, and you're like, "This, this treats it treats your audience with such disrespect."
1: It's got twenty three <clears throat> million followers. It's he's one of those people that when I look him up on Instagram and I see that I have thirty three friends following him, I'm like, "Shame on all of you!" Right? <laughs> <laughs> you are
0: all dead to me now. Hopefully, they're hate following him. Uh, but also, he seems like a parody. Yeah, he does. Me. He yeah. seems like a fucking Will Ferrell movie or something right. to me.
1: He, yeah, he's on
4: a yacht like with
0: a girls. He's like gambling. Right. And now he's throwing weed parties. And yeah.
1: shooting
2: AK-47s and uh, whatever the fuck. Is that what those are?
0: Yeah, it's tits and guns is his kind of... It's his brand. Yeah, that's his bread and butter. And you know, you don't see that as much in the tech industry anymore. But when I was working my early days in tech journalism, when I would go to these tech conferences... Booth babes were a thing, right? Mm. And they just recently started to ban those at tech conferences. Booth babes being women who are scantily clad selling you tablets and <laughs> Wi-Fi routers I mean, and it shit. Because that makes sense. It's still
2: happening in the weed industry, even though it's trying to be all buttoned up in corporate. But if uh, you go to your bud tenders at lots of places, are might as well be booth babes. Some of them, not all of them. Right. Or like... Um, all these distributor representatives that come through, they're all like hot girls. girls.
0: Yeah. Uh, and it's unfortunate as are so many things (laughs) of the weed industry these days. One of them being that there is an extreme lack, depending on who you ask of women in top level positions at cannabis companies. Um, I did a little bit of research, and if you just do the, the bare minimum research, there's one study that pops up from MJ Biz Daily, so they're a big enterprise marijuana publication, right? And they said that 30%, or 37% of all executive positions in weed companies are filled by women. And I thought that was weird compared to the national average for other industries of 21%. -hmm. And I was like, that doesn't seem right. Just like optically from like seeing people in these positions, from knowing people that work in this industry, that seemed wrong to me. Like, I do know a lot of women in the weed industry, but I think that's also largely because of the people that I choose to hang out with in this industry, so I did a little bit more digging and I came across a company called Vangst, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. And they are a...
1: Employment agency. Like headhunters. Yeah.
0: Right. So they did their Staffing. own survey. Mm-hmm. And they found that it's actually more like 18%, not 37. Like, <laughs> wow. How wildly different.
1: Well, and I don't think anything's like really being done to promote it. Like, Kaio is great and she was saying how she was at the high times 50 most influential women in cannabis. And she's like a teeny tiny brand. Mm -hmm. So that's great for her. But like at the same vein, like shouldn't we have like, shouldn't like all the major companies have someone at that?
0: It is disappointing. And it's, it's crazy that we're in this new industry and there's a lot of talk about being able to shape the industry, right? It's well, sorry. It is not a new industry. It's an industry that has existed for a very fucking long time. But it is a newly regulated industry, right? And we do have the ability to shape it. It's shaping up to look a lot like the The worst possible scenario. The money is flowing towards the usual suspects, right? Like Mm -hmm. the money is going towards these white male owned companies, these vertically integrated giant corporations with people who have had money in the past who are able to create more money um, and who can weather the storm of the crazy regulations and taxes and everything else that were created by Prop 64. Um,
2: it's very difficult for, a you know, some a small maker, a small manufacturer, cottage industry, you know the craft industry to to enter the market mm-hmm. and they're not gonna yeah there won't be these huge returns that you can get from unless it's a huge vertically integrated company
1: but i'm still not convinced the huge vertically integrated companies are getting huge returns
2: right. oh yeah so, so they've had
1: all these layoffs so i'm just curious how investor relations are going to look in a year when you know, two years ago, you were selling every neighbor on your block, like, you got to invest in this big company, this company that I got. Well, like, what's going on with that now? Um, and I guess, like, we'll talk, we've, we talk about this all the time, like, who's actually making money?
0: Well, it's a good segue into talking about our second guest, Emily Paxia, who is the founder of one of the first uh, big investment funds for cannabis.
4: So I... Co founded and managed Poseidon Investment Management, which has two investment funds underneath it that are dedicated to the cannabis industry. Cannabis is 100% the focus of our investment strategy.
0: If you are looking for money in the weed industry, you have definitely come across her name, right? Um, she has bet big on some very big names in the weed industry and she's got a pretty great track record when it comes to this stuff um emily is a straight shooter mm-hmm. and she's super fucking cool and she was a lot of fun to talk to and she had the cutest fucking dog y'all mm. Mm.
2: what was its name
0: sprout
2: <gasps> cute
0: it had three legs oh, baby. and it could it was tiny it was like a little lap dog <gasps> but it could leap into a chair that was like three feet high Is a chair three feet high? (laughs) Well, maybe two. 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 Anyway, it could leap with three feet. I thought that was cool. That is good.
4: So I founded the business with my brother and when we put it together in 2012 and launched it in 2013, uh, it really was pretty contrarian point of view to think that investing into cannabis was something that made logical sense. So um, I, I'd attribute it to a couple of things. My, our parents, passed away from cancer and so we heard early on that can- that cannabis could be a palliative care resource uh, so I think it just gave us an open mindset around cannabis and maybe we took it more seriously than other people. I mean our dad was also rep- reportedly uh, an enthusiast. I mean he's in the movie Woodstock so I feel like it was a given it went part and parcel with his hippie mentality and ways of being. Um, so I think we were just very open minded to it and then The other side to it is that I had been doing consulting for a a while, research and consulting, and um, trying to help companies compete in extremely competitive and saturated markets. And so seeing the white space that came around cannabis and all of the opportunities to participate across the entire kind of sub-ecosystem of the industry was so vibrant and so clear to me back in 2011 when I first moved out here. There's that Wayne Gretzky quote, you skate to where the puck's headed, not where it is now, or what I, I'm paraphrasing, but I think for us, the puck was always heading to California. And so setting up shop here. And then to your very good points when we were speaking before we started, is that being in this nexus of Silicon Valley which is just this amazing birthplace of innovation in California and frankly, the world and having the juxtaposition of cannabis right there, it felt to us like it was a very natural place to be launching a forward looking fund. I think Morgan and I both love to hear the stories about, you know, Steve jobs in his garage or, um, or, uh, you know, we've met some of the early founders of Yahoo and they had like doors for desks and they were sleeping under the desks. And, and I think we have that kind of scrappy startup mentality in our own Fund formation. So being near that energetically and inf- information wise felt really good. So, uh, you know, and I think we've also spent a lot of time, there's a lot to be learned from what the Valley has done from an investment landscape standpoint. Um, we've learned a lot about how you keep founders close to you and, and keep that so that it uh, fosters deal flow and fosters synergies between your portfolio companies. And we've learned what has not worked well for fund managers in the Valley and and how you end up finding out that some fund managers are kind of blacklisted, um, where founders don't want to work with them. And as the investment landscape becomes more competitive, it's important to us to have borrowed some of that knowledge and apply it in our own practices.
0: I think that's a good transition to talking about sort of your early investments, because you Mm -hmm. said that you focused on tech in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me why?
4: So why we focused on tech in the beginning of the industry were there are a couple of reasons. The first was that when we first launched the fund, we weren't sure how open investors would be to us investing directly into what we call plant touching operations, which are the people who are responsible for cultivating. Basically, if they touch the plant through the whole process, uh, because of the federal status of it. And at that time, three adult use markets and I want to say 13 medical markets, it's gone to 37 medical markets and um, 11 adult use markets now within the United States alone. Forget the fact of all of the countries that have opened up these markets. Um, so it's changed drastically. So part of it was we weren't sure what the openness of our investors would be. So. We had we kind of towed the line of the ancillary pieces of the picks and shovels. The other piece to that was that we just and we still do believe because we still invest in that is that similar to the gold rush, which occurred here, the picks and shovels and the Wells Fargo's of the of the gold rush actually did better than a lot of the folks who were sifting. Uh, stream water looking for gold. And so our feeling was these picks and shovels were going to have enormous scalability opportunities.
3: I mean, when I go to these pitch competitions and I love Emily, she's amazing. Um, But when I hear her or Tahira talk about like what they're looking for in portfolio companies, it sounds a lot more similar to what I was hearing at like tech conferences a few years ago. We're not a tech company. We're not selling pickaxes. um, We're selling intimacy. And, like, increase intimacy with oneself, with one's partners, partner, however however you do it.
1: Now, this is the point where we have to talk about pickaxes and ancillary businesses. Right. <laughs> so,
0: she just, she, as so many people have said, she saw this opportunity in the ancillary businesses. Uh, the pickaxes, not the actual gold. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so... She kind of, she narrowed in on, really focused in on these tech companies. I was like, do you ever think that it's kind of an odd fit, tech and weed? And she was like, no, everything needs technology, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things that I thought was like the most interesting is this business has been a business running without any kind of data for as decades. long as it's as long as it's run really yeah. like you were saying earlier you couldn't even at a certain point tell people what your most pop- popular product was
1: mm-hmm. yeah and i i mean shout out to their their in their portfolio is headset which is one of my favorite um Business Insight software. Um, whoa, you have a favorite whoa. Business Insight software. <laughs> it's really good though, guys. No, because it does break down like who your customer is and and it can also like help with your inventory. I mean, things like that weren't there, you know, years ago. It was like people were using antiquated versions of Excel. They were using ledgers with pencils.
0: Right, if you're smart, you're using the ledgers with pencils because right. you can burn that shit. Right, right. There's also, there's also tons of room for hardware too, right? Mm -hmm. Like the weed, the weed business is just now getting into specialized hardware to deal with like crops and shit.
1: Right. And there's like, you know, there's machine trimmers, there's machine packaging, there's all of that kind of stuff. And then today, today I was reading where now, because we're California, that most indoor grows are going to have to have um, be regulated with like energy, um, mm. so that's going to be an interesting. They're going to need solar panels. Yeah, solar, and then you're probably going to need an energy monitoring software. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> our that's our white space. It's so funny. Right? Because... Hey Emily, we got a new <laughs> yeah. business. It's yeah. called
0: soft something software. And there's no solutions. verbs. or no there's no vowels. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. Yeah, it's laughs> suf- r- solutions. Sim- I have a hard time with the sort of, like, influx of Silicon Valley into the the weed industry because, like I said, I had a hard time when I was working in the tech industry dealing with it. But it's nice to know that if anybody's doing this, it's Emily. Totally. That's true. Poseidon's two funds contain some pretty big names who weren't so big before they were, they were funded. Um, and they all kind of, you know, it makes sense. It's like... You've got PAX, you've got Flocona, you have Spark, you have FlowHub, you have Headset. Um, whoop whoop. What was- <laughs> Sponsor
1: what, us! Right? It's a really great business, intelligence software.
0: <laughs> God. I'll give
1: you all my data, Headset.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy though, that like, when I asked Emily who's making money in this business, I mean, you could hear a pin drop in that mm. room and it was carpeted. We did an episode about lawyers. I talk to lawyers about the fact that, you know, there's this sort of new cliche about them being the only ones making money in this business.
4: (laughs) Yes, they make a lot of money in this business.
0: (laughs) Um, Who else is making money?
4: (sighs) I mean, today, it's a tough question. I mean... Who will, who's making money? The lawyers are doing incredibly well. Uh, I mean, I think service providers in this industry are, are making money. I think we're all looking for resources around financial controls. So I feel like accounting firms, audit firms, those groups are making money because there's a lot of business being done and a lot of M&A being done. And so I think that those, those service providers are getting called in all the time and they're doing incredibly well. Um, I think that you can as a vertically integrated multi-retail location operator in California I think you can make money if you're not trying to scale your business at the same time so if you're just trying to focus on running your business I think you can definitely make money and I've seen, I've seen it uh, so I think some of those people are kind of subsisting and bootstrapping and they have this whole time Everybody else is in scaling mode right now. And so I think that most of our portfolio or all of our portfolio companies are modeled to be able to make money. And I think so in a reasonable time frame. One of the things
0: that strikes me as odd when we can make when we draw this comparison or or when people try to fit the Silicon Valley peg into the cannabis hole, weed Yes, it's a tangible good. Yes, it's a controlled substance, but like, there's no good reason for it to be a controlled substance. Um, it doesn't kill people. It doesn't cause mass fucking mayhem in in society like it's been said to have done for many, many, many decades. I mean,
2: Facebook causes genocides, and we're still using it,
1: right?
0: Right, and, and it's un- it's not regulated at all. Yeah, no. like. You have to struggle so hard just to make a little bit of money in the weed industry, right? Selling something that has been used as medicine for fucking centuries and has never resulted in an overdose, right? I mean, can we say the same with Facebook? Like, Facebook has caused mass fucking chaos Chaos. in the world, right? And we're just now beginning to be like, Hmm. Something doesn't seem right here. Mm-hmm.
2: You've got all these um, senators and representatives who have no idea how the fuck it works, but they just let it go. Mm-hmm. But
0: those are like- the same senators that never <laughs> inhaled. So <laughs> right. I don't know. One of the things that Kayo said that I found really interesting was, or or striking rather, was she said that her and Rachel talk about being in the in this industry as. Riding a snake, not a train.
2: Oh, like the door
0: song. Wait, there's. Wait.
2: What? Ride the. Riders on the song. I it's never. Snake. The door... Ride the snake into the lake, the ancient lake. That's, yes. a, that's a door song. Wow. Jala. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, she said, you know, it's going to get more complicated. Uh, before it gets less complicated and you just have to lean into being uncomfortable leaning in Lean once in again. girl, lean in. but it was it was great talking to Kayo for a second time. So I gave her a call. She was one of the first interviews that I did for this for this podcast uh, and I thought she was going to be in the first episode and it just didn't make sense in the end. So when we started talking about this sort of Silicon Valley crossover, I was like, oh, she's the perfect fit. We'll just use her old interview. But I wanted to catch up with her because it had been like eight or nine months. Mm-hmm. And when I called her, she was sitting in her office in on Market Street in downtown San Francisco with her first employee. You know, like things are moving, but it's not a straight line. It's mm-hmm. not easy. It hasn't been cut and dried, right? Like it's all been very up and down and crazy for them. Um, And after three or like three years, they're finally at a point where they can afford to hire one person. So when are you going to IPO?
3: I'm so glad you asked. We're filing next week. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) It's going to be bigger than square and Facebook and Instagram all combined. We're all going to be gajillionaires and then we're going to, you know, build our Mars landing. We're going to beat Elon Musk to Mars. It's going to be great. We're going to put a Quim flag on Mars.
0: Fueled by aloe lube.
3: Exactly. So Kaio was
2: like, everyone keep, when she talks to investors, everyone asks her when she's going to IPO. Right. And (laughs) she's like, well, you know, there's some other steps to be taken before that's even a possibility.
0: Right. It's <laughs> hilarious that that's a question, right? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Ask the federal government.
1: right. And also, like this is this isn't tech. You know, we can't pivot next week and turn into a new company. We have a product that we have to get into the hands of an end user. We can't sell this algorithm we made next week to someone and make a billion dollars. Um, like I keep thinking about blue apron. Because, okay. Because they tried to disrupt dinner, and <laughs> how dare they!
0: You know my sister's really good at that. If you want to disrupt, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to disrupt dinner, just call Stephanie Trout over. She will fuck it up. Wrecked is a podcast of The Grass Agency. I'm Christopher Trout. My co-hosts are Rena Karia and Brandy Moody. We're produced and edited by Kyle Mock, and our theme music is by Regender. Follow us at The Grass Agency on Instagram and Twitter. We'll see you next week.